Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. It's a good day to wake up and see that our country is taking care of business. The gold medal game. Team Canada victorious over the United States again. 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 I am happy, CJ. It's a glorious Thursday. How are you feeling? I'm obviously happy too. I mean, I I don't maybe get it in the into this in a, in a rooting interest. I almost feel a little bit bad for both teams that just the way it works that it's you get this game once every four years. There's just so much riding on <clears throat> the one game. The flip side of that is that's what makes Marie Philippe Boulin's accomplishments so special is that she's only had those one game every four years to show up the way she has and to score now a gold medal winning goal in three out of the last four Olympics. She scored also in the, in the 2018 game where Canada won silver. I mean, pretty incredible to be able to conjure that again and again and again, but you know, it was an exciting game. Um, I feel like we probably beat a dead horse with this topic, but hopefully there's a way to, in the next four years before 2026 in Milan to, to get a women's league up and going in North America. Yes, sir. I realize there is a women's league, but to to find a way to get all the best players into one league and give them opportunities that way and have more of an opportunity to shine the spotlight on them than just uh, the Olympics. Absolutely. And I'll also say this, I'll I'll mention them in uh, stick taps near the end because I really want to give them their due, but it is cool to see, Pulling get the job done, and Sarah Nurse as well leading the tournament and scoring. Not only that, but breaking both of them broke Haley Wickenheiser's record for points at an Olympic Games uh, at the gold medal game over the United States. So it's just we may very well have seen uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Canadian team at the Olympics so far as long as they've been able to be there. That's just incredible to see. But I'm I'm happy. I'm sorry for the American listeners or viewers uh, who may not feel as happy. Uh, to see their team lose to Canada, but we're both Canadian, so uh, you know we'll, we'll 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 give the taps to to our women for doing an outstanding job in Beijing. Uh, but we have NHL topics to get to. Uh, I want to start with Claude Giroux. Uh, a few people after our last episode wondered why we didn't mention Claude Giroux. We did kind of mention him a little after the All Star break. Uh, but I'm also kind of glad we didn't mention him in the Tuesday episode because, well, in the earlier week episode, because there's more news to talk about now. He spoke to the media and uh, was asked about the possibility of of moving to to a different city. We've already talked about the possibility of Colorado. Maybe there's another team on the horizon. Claude Drew is saying he's focused on the Flyers and hasn't really talked trade, but you do kind of get the sense that his time as a Flyer is starting to come to an end. CJ. What's your look on this situation? What's this read on Claude Giroux and his time as a flyer? Is it just the Colorado Avalanche we're interested? Tell us everything you know. Uh, well, I think the reason maybe we didn't talk about it is there's not really news here yet. You know what I mean? Like those conversations aren't really happening on a meaningful level. Even the teams that are interested in Claude Giroux, I don't think are engaging too much with Philadelphia. I mean, I think there's a general understanding here. This is probably going to go close to the deadline. It might not be right to March 21st, but before, you know, Claude officially signs off on his no movement clause and things can be worked out. I mean, he's coming up on a significant achievement. He's got a chance to play 1000 games all with the Philadelphia Flyers. He remains healthy, not wood. He's able to do that actually before 
the trade deadline. And, and you know, I think that that's something all things being equal, we'd like to do first. And so, you know, really we're talking about a deadline deal and we're still only a little beyond mid-February here. And, and so there's, there's a little bit of meat on this bone, but, you know, what's happening now is Pat Brisson, who's the agent for Claude Giroux, uh, has permission to speak to other teams. You know, I think he's doing some of the legwork uh, on behalf of the Flyers just to line up what the market might look like, what cities or team situations might interest Giroux ultimately. And, you know, we'll see if when we get into March, if, if one of those teams is willing to step up and meet a price the Flyers are willing to take. And so there's, there's still a lot of, I think, behind the scenes maneuvering that has to go on. It's more than Colorado, though, that will be interested in them. Um, you know, there's some talk about St. Louis, I think, at least kicking some tires there. Wouldn't surprise me if Florida, um, you know, we're, we're in the mix and, and maybe a couple other teams. Uh, you know, the biggest issue for all these teams, and you'll hear me say this again and again with all these players, but makes it a little bit more than 8 million on the cap. And so it's a, it's a difficult deal for contenders to pull off because most of the contenders don't have much cap space. Even if there's, you know, 50% retention by Philadelphia and a third team used, it's still a significant cap hit to take on for, for some of those teams. And that's another reason why it probably won't happen until right before the deadline, because the closer it happens to the deadline, the less cap hit is actually absorbed by the team acquiring. Do we have a sense of what the asking price would be for Giroux if it got to that point, or do we not have that yet? I, I don't have a good beat on that yet. I mean, obviously, if you're the Flyers, you want to maximize them. But, you know, last year we started Taylor Hall essentially traded for a second-round pick under sort of similar circumstances. Uh, when it got to the end and he had some control of the situation, he really wanted to go to Boston. You know, it's some of that still to, to play out. It's kind of a funny market, you know, sometimes. Certain players, maybe on lower cap hits, you know, they're, they're going to get a first-round pick um, because there's a lot of demand for them. Teams can maybe squeeze them in more easily. Sometimes when you're talking about a player with a higher cap hit who has this no-movement clause and, and can – kind of dictate the process, you know, you, you might not see as big a return there as, as, you know, someone else that moves the deadline gets. It's going to be weird seeing Claude Giroux, uh, who's been a flyer all of his career, play in a different uniform when that eventually comes time. But Well, hey, there's, yeah. there's a situation here where that doesn't happen. Like, I, I don't think it's likely, but in, in, again, there's a lot to play out. And, and there really are only a few teams that can make this work and probably a few – cities or situations interest Claude and, and, you know, I'm just saying, let's, let's, we're going to talk about them a lot in these next three to four weeks, understandably, and try to get a, a read on this situation. I think more than likely he does take this opportunity to chase a Stanley cup, but it's meant a lot to him to be a flyer his whole career. And maybe, maybe at the end, something changes. Like it's, it's not a foregone conclusion that he's gone, but you know, I, I do think for putting odds on it, it's like 80% or up that he is like, it's very likely, but it's, because there's still some uncertainty or think around how this is going to play out. I mean, there is, there's a world where maybe he doesn't get traded. That's really interesting. I, I, I can't imagine, especially in your position as someone who obviously is a trade breaker, obviously is an insider, but also working on a broadcast, a national broadcast uh, for trade center on March 21st, uh, seeing a guy like Claude Giroux out there, like what go get out of the work mind for a second, but go into like the TV mind for a second. Like, how cool is it to be like, okay, that guy could be available. We could be talking about him for hours on a broadcast. Like, and, and he could be or might not be traded. Like, well, how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, certainly when we get to like March 18th and 19th, and this happens every trade deadline, 
everyone will be nervous that trade's going to happen like the day before the broadcast. I mean, if you get that close and it's still a conversation point and there's still things going on, you know, you selfishly from the TV standpoint, you're hoping there's not a lot of deals the day before. Of course, history tells us that that the GMs aren't necessarily as interested in our timelines and are more interested in, in their own ability to get deals done. But that's, that's where it gets a little nerve wracking is you're just worried all the best players will be off the board by the time the day comes. You know, that has happened in some years gone by. Uh, we still get the odd sort of big trade or, you know, even surprise on deadline day. Like it's, there's not usually a ton of them because, because for the most part, it's, it's predictable players moving guys on expiring contracts. You know, we could go through each team in, in the league that isn't going to make the playoffs. We know who their, their players are that are, you know, basically trade bait as TSN's called it. Um, but then there is the odd surprise move. So, you know, it's a fun day. It gets stressful as we get close to it. Fortunately, it's not stressful yet. I'm still just enjoying that, you know, trying to get a, a general sense of the parameters of the market, what teams are looking for, what teams are selling. It hasn't really heated up yet, but, you know, we saw that the Foley trade in the last few days. And, and I would expect now in the next month, we're going to see sort of steady action that, that moves towards a, a rapid drumbeat by, the, you know, March 21st. That is a great transition over to the Montreal Canadiens. You did mention the Tyler Toffoli trade. He was shipped away by the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, their general manager, Kent Hughes, spoke about, uh, he briefly mentioned the Toffoli trade, but also spoke a lot about Ben Sherratt at his press conference on Wednesday. If the right deal's there, they'll make it with Ben Sherratt. And the same sort of applies to Jeff Petrie. Uh, What have you heard about Ben Sherratt and the interest in him? And could he be moved maybe as soon as maybe today, maybe there's a world where he could be traded by the time you are listening to this podcast. It definitely is that world. I mean, the Canadians have been pretty clear. They want sort of a David Savard like return from last year's deadline, which was a first and a third, I believe, but a first plus another, you know, asset. If someone meets that price, I think that they'll make that move. You know, Ben Sherrod had kind of a minor injury in a game over the weekend, but it just underlines when you have an asset that's as in demand as he's been all year, you know, there've been teams that have, you know, cause the Canadian season has been headed in a certain direction from pretty much go. Um, I think teams have wanted to, to get a handle on the Sherrod situation. You know, there haven't really been contract discussions with the Canadians. It's just, it's sort of been clear. He's, he's, he's moving towards being traded before the deadline, but you don't want to risk, you know, having that, that asset get injured uh, beforehand. So I, I wouldn't surprise to see this trade happen within a week's time. Um, just depends if one of these teams kicking around is willing to, to meet that, that sort of price and, and make the deal happen. You know, it could be a prospect type deal too. You know, I think one thing that Canadians liked about the, the trade they made with Calgary is they got, you know, that prospect, uh, Heinemann, I don't know the correct pronunciation, but he's drafted two years ago. He's a little closer potentially to being ready to, to help you at the NHL level. And so it's not necessarily that they need a first and a third for Sherrod. Maybe it's a first and a, a similar type of prospect. Um, from another team, but you know, it's a pretty hefty price. And, and, you know, I do think Haynes have a lot of balls in the air, but Sherrod is the one I'm most confident that they're going to move. You know, I think they consider Mike Hoffman, Jonathan Drouin, um, you know, even Christian Dvorak. I think they, they'd look at moving if they could, but you know, Sherrod is the more natural piece to move just because he plays a specific style game. He's on an expiring contract. The cap hit isn't too onerous. And, there are lots of good teams that want to acquire him. Um, can, what about the teams interested in Ben Sherrod? Are I hear there's like a whole bunch of teams interested in the guy, or maybe I'm wrong on that. 
No, it's it's a bunch of teams that are at least kicking around, you know, having those conversations. I mean, Calgary tried to trade for him on the weekend when they were doing it to Foley deal. So, you know, there was a world where that was a much bigger trade. You know, the the teams couldn't see eye to eye on how that would fit together and ultimately severed off. And Toffoli was more of the Flames' priority because they felt they needed scoring. But so so Calgary's there. Maybe maybe they get back into it. We'll see. I mean, they've won eight in a row as we're recording this. Clearly fancy themselves as contenders or, or team that could make a move. And, and you know, they're in a division that I think has a soft edge to it right now. So why not go for it? Um, you know, Florida has been connected to them. St. Louis, I think, is that interest in Sherratt. Uh, the Maple Leafs, I know, have called on them a fair bit. And some believe that they might be, you know, perhaps even the front runner or one of the front runners to, to land them. Um, you know, I think it's, it's interesting. Every team has different needs, you know, like these teams with the, the teams without much cap space would probably rather this deal happen closer to the March 21st, the Canadians wanting to protect their asset, you know, might be more willing to deal them soon. I mean, that, that's part of the dynamic there too, but uh, I'm sure there's teams I haven't mentioned that as well that are, that are in the mix. And, and really, I think he's just, he's an easy uh, player for a lot of easier player for a lot of teams to take on just because his cap hits a little over 3 million and the Canadians are willing to retain half of his, his contract. They've let, they've let everyone calling know that, that they're willing to take on 50%. And so you're talking about potentially someone who can make an impact and he's, he does so on relatively, you know, small cap hit. Okay. That's a lot to take in on Sherratt. So two big takeaways. There, there's a growing sense that the Toronto Maple Leafs who, Everyone on the SDP were basically spending half the podcast being like, please don't get Ben Chirot. Please don't get Ben Chirot. There's a growing sense the Leafs could be the front runner. And I don't know if that was out there at all, but the Canadians are willing to retain salary on Ben Chirot. Is that correct? Do I have that right? That The second one is right. They're definitely prepared to, to do that if, if you want. You know, obviously there's probably a little bit more of a premium on what you pay if, if that's what you're getting. You know, don't, don't uh, radio me on my own podcast. I did use the word front runner, but what I mean is I, I think – to be more specific and more clear, Steve, Adam, Jesse. Um, <laughs> That's why I'm asking. That's why I'm asking because they're going to mention it on the Friday show. That's why. Well, don't clip the first one. <laughs> clip this. The Leafs. The Leafs have a high. Seem to have an, a high degree of interest in it. But you know, I, they're not alone. Like that's, you know. Toronto gets us probably the clicks if we use that, but but they're they're not the only team. Like I, I think the Blues are quite interested as well. Um, in Sherrod and then there's there's a few others so it's not and Calgary already tried to trade for him so there's someone could come out of the dark here or some, something could materialize with a team we're not mentioning but you know I there's a sense that the Leafs have been interested the whole time you know I think it makes sense for Toronto on some levels I understand everyone's concern you know you can pull up the those the, the player cards that everyone bounces around Twitter these days the numbers don't look too good you know, Ben Schrott also played with Shea Weber last year on a team that went to the Stanley Cup final. Um, and, you know, that's a year ago. Maybe things have declined. But I think in a better situation can be part of a useful pairing for a team that that plays a long time in the playoffs. And, and you know, I think the Leafs are looking to make it a, a move on their blue line. It might not end up being that significant as Schrott. might be someone more depth-wise. But the Leafs are looking at everything. I think they're willing to be creative. And they're definitely looking at Schrott to, to some degree. Uh, since you do focus a fair bit on the Leafs, uh, can you give us a sense of what they might be looking at right now beyond Ben Schrott or any other pieces or any other needs they might they might be looking to fill ahead of the deadline? 
Well, at the risk of jumping too deep in the minutiae, they basically have no cap space. They, they claim Adam Brooks off waivers yesterday from Vegas, a player they've had, they drafted and have had in the organization um, before. And then they had to send Timothy Lilligren to the, to the Marlies, to the HL, just to be cap compliant. And so as we're recording this, it almost feels like you don't know how they acquire anybody. Now, the, the beauty is there still is a few weeks that there's players on their roster. I think they're willing to move. Obviously, Nick Ritchie's contract is is buried in the minors right now, but it counts against their cap. And, and you know, he's someone they're, they're trying to move before the deadline to create some room. But, you know, it's hard. It's hard to get a, a handle on exactly what they might be able to do um, because they really have no cap room today. Now, thing is that they play a game tonight. They play a game on Saturday. Like the, you could have an injury between now and the deadline that, that change that makes that point move. You know, if one of their one of their high earning players goes on long term injured reserve, they might have ten million to, you know in cap space in which they could use to acquire a player at the deadline. So, um, you know, they're they're obviously in on a bunch of defensemen in terms of just gauging the market and being ready to react. Um, yeah, I think that that's that's probably internally the number one priority, but. You know, their needs could could sort of evolve and adjust based on what happens to the team. And there's there's still a number of games from the play before March 21st. I want to move on to another Canadian team uh, that I know we haven't talked too much about on the podcast. And I kind of thought they'd be a playoff team right now, uh, but they are still on the outside looking in uh, in the Central Division of the Western Conference. And that's the Winnipeg Jets. They did win uh, Wednesday against the Minnesota Wild, a top team in that division. Uh, but they, um, but we know they've gone through some changes. We know Paul Maurice stepped aside and Dave Lowry has taken over. Uh, they, they have that core that has gone on playoff runs before, but they find themselves in a peculiar position now. I was just curious for your thoughts on the Jets as they are right now and, and what position they could be at the deadline. Well, I think they have to see, you know, it's up to the players right now to put pressure on management to not have them become a seller. Um you know, they've done that. They've had a nice little stretch here since the all-star break has, has returned. And, you know, there's time to, to maybe claw back in that playoff race. But if not, you know, you might see some changes. I think, you know, Andrew Cops, a name to watch there. Uh, very useful player for the Jets over the years. He's a pending unrestricted free agent. I could see a world where, you know, because it doesn't seem that he's going to sign an extension in Winnipeg, at least during the season right now. Um, you know, where he's a, a player we're talking about come deadline day if, if, if they get there. And I think that's the kind of addition historically teams want to make at the deadline. Um, you know, versatile player, you know, maybe not the biggest name around the league, but if you look, he's been pretty darn productive too. Um, you know, put himself into a nice position. Um, you know, and then the, the larger question is, as you zoom out, is, you know, if the season doesn't result in the playoffs, if it kind of just go meekly into the night, you know, what, what happens this summer there might be of more interest um, just because, you know, they've gone down a certain road with their core, you know, they, they've got some aging players, you know, Blake Wheeler's getting up there. You know, they brought Paul Stassi back as older. There just might be, there might be an opportunity for a refresh. I know, I'm not saying at all, they're going into a rebuild. They've got a lot of talented guys, but you know, that there might be a new way to approach the same problem um, come this off season. I, I don't see those kind of fireworks though. And, happening during the year. I think that they'll see how this next few weeks play out, you know, react accordingly at the deadline, maybe make a decision on a UFA like cop and then, you know, see what the off season brings. All right. So we've gone through some Canadian teams that could be doing some peculiar things at the deadline. And we'll go, we'll go through more as we get closer to the NHL trade deadline, which is about a month away. 
plus like four days, essentially. We're going to have a lot of trade talk. We're going to have a lot of trading pile talk as well. CJ, geez, I hope you're able to take some breaks in between, man, because it, it, the run to March 21 is on. I'm getting excited, though. Like, it's funny because I've been getting my schedule from TSN, and, like, it just it includes more days each week than it has earlier in the season. I get why. It's This is the time of year we, we, we earn our money, as you say, or we, we earn our keep. And so – but it's starting to feel – you're right. It's starting to feel real. Like, it's um, – yeah. And, and look – Getting a trade like the Toffoli deal like gets the juices going too, and you know hopefully there's a few more between now and and that point in March, you know just to to keep the interest high. All right, uh, I want to get to Sidney Crosby. Uh, he scored his 500th career goal uh, against the Philadelphia Flyers. We were just talked about the Flyers, uh, but Sidney Crosby, of course, uh, one of the best hockey players we have ever seen uh, on the face of this God-given earth, and he reaches the milestone this week. Thoughts on the goal? Thoughts on his career to this point? Wow. I mean, that's a big one. That's a very right. big one, I understand. But, like, just the us, fact that City Crosby's there, like, of course. For those of us who stayed up late watching the, the gold medal final at the, of the women's uh, Olympic final and then early in the morning, that's that's a heavy one. But, you know, what <laughs> first thing that to me about Sidney Crosby, honestly, is might be the finest gentleman I've ever encountered in hockey. And I don't say that with any hyperbole. Like I, I think there's a case that he, for someone who grew up kind of in the eye of the media storm, you know, certainly when he entered the league was him and Alex Ovechkin were asked to, to carry a huge, I don't want to say burden for the NHL, but they, they, they had to do a lot of work for helping market the league coming out of the lockout in 2004-05 that cost a whole season. Exciting young rookies, you know, we're put through the marketing ringer, all that stuff to say is like city Crosby still is like sweet a guy as if you live down the street from you and your, your, your hometown in Canada. And I think it says something that he's managed to have that aura. He just treats people with class. I've had many amazing dealings with him just because it's kind of my career's timeline wise has overlapped with his and he's, he's been someone worth covering. So I've, I've seen him covered him on in Europe way back when at the world hockey championships in Latvia, you know, at two Olympic games in Vancouver and Sochi I was at all four Pittsburgh Stanley Cup finals that, that he's been part of and, and some of his runs too, otherwise with the Penguins. And so, you know, he's a, he's a pretty special guy and it's cool to see him join that company that like admittedly makes me feel old to think he scored 500 goals. Um, yeah, I think when we talk about the hockey side of his career, as, th- as things wrap up, you know, he, and I'm not pushing him out of the league. He's still pretty damn productive right now, but um you know, we're, we'll look back on that period with all the games he missed with the concussions right at probably the peak of what he could be. Like, I remember I was at that outdoor game in Pittsburgh. Um, he was, I think he had like a 20 or 30 point scoring race on leading the scoring race on January 1st. Like he was on a crazy run. Mario Lemieux did a, a media interview that day. And Mario really does not speak much to reporters pretty private guy. And, and like, I think he said, like Crosby might be better than me right now. And then he plays that game outdoor game and he takes the hit. I think it was David Steckel, you know, and, and basically doesn't barely plays it. You know, there's a few stops and starts for a year and a half at that, that point in time. I mean, so his numbers are impressive, but he would have got the 500 goals a lot longer, a lot, a lot sooner had he not had sort of the concussion and neck issues that plagued him right at that point in his career where he was, basically doing whatever he wanted out there, but, you know, still a, just a crazy good career. 
And, you know, for me, I think he'll end up on a hockey Mount Rushmore when, when all is said and done. I mean, considering the stops and starts that he had, I think he also took a hit from Victor Hedman, if I'm not mistaken, not too long after that stuck game as well. Like the, the, the series of head injuries that he's taken, like he, he we, could, we should be talking about him at 600 goals right now, if we're, if, if we're being real. Yeah, I mean, something like that. And the funny thing is he's, he was never really known as a goal scorer, right? Like he was far more of a playmaker. And so it, for someone like him to get to 500 goals, I think he even carries a little extra weight. I mean, and I'm not saying he wasn't a great goal scorer, but I think he has a 150 goal season, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, Ovi was, was the goal scorer and, and Sid was maybe more of the all-around player. You know, he still is. Like, Colby Armstrong, who played with him for a while, a buddy of mine, said, like, he's like an elite grinder, like the way he plays. Like, he's he's never flashy, even at his best, but he's just all over the puck. He wins battles. He's obviously got a great backhand, which he's used to score a lot of those goals. You know, just just kind of a complete, complete team player. And that's what the record shows. I mean, Pittsburgh, including me, like I thought this year was the year they were going to fall off. Looks pretty, pretty safe bet they're going to make the playoffs again. So they 15 or 16 straight years. You know, you look at Crosby's Team Canada success, like he's barely ever lost the game in a Team Canada sweater, whether it's World Juniors, World Championships. The Olympics he's been at, the World Cup of Hockey in 2016. I mean, he's, he's has lots of great players around him on those teams, the Bergerons and the, the Webbers and uh, Corey Perry and Carey Price. But, you know, he's he's been at the heartbeat of that. And, um, yeah, just just a special guy. Like, I, I, I wish I could hammer that point home more, you know, for people maybe haven't had a chance to meet him or don't have that same sense of him. But, like, a curious mind and just – all the time in the world for everyone like man i get impatient and no one even wants my like i can't imagine sort of that he's managed to maintain that his whole career i mean barely i don't think you've ever seen him has there been a misstep in his career like he ever had a bad exchange with someone has he ever i mean he just just pure class um and i yeah i think that's part of what makes him great is that He's, he's a great teammate. He's great to fans and media, people behind the scenes, and he's so great on the ice. I mean, he's just a total package. Got to say, me saying thoughts on his career, that's not the greatest question I could have asked, but you answered that eloquently. So how about this question? Aside from the golden goal, because that's an easy answer, what do you consider Sidney Crosby's best hockey moment to be? Ooh. You can tell there's radio silence here. That's a thinker. That's very much a thinker, right? Because I was thinking about this earlier. Go ahead. Like, I think we could give answers, but the truth is the golden goal, the golden goal might be one of the most important goals ever scored. Absolutely. <laughs> and so like, and so his number one moment is like such, it's like so superhuman kind of, like everything else kind of pales in comparison, even, even winning the cups and winning the con Smites and, like he's obviously had other big goals. I remember he scored, he sort of diagrammed a, an overtime goal in that cup final. Like you could see him at the faceoff circle against San Jose. Like he's had other, so many moments, but like the golden goal is like the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth most important goal he's ever scored. You know, just what age he was at. If you remember the emotions around Canada at the time, what Vancouver team meant, maybe the fact that his tournament, like I think people overstate it. People almost say like he was awful in the tournament and then he scored that goal. Like, but he was shut down a little bit more than you'd expect at times that tournament. He did score a shootout winner against Switzerland. Like, like any, if you look at the, 
if you look at the point totals for Vancouver, he did fine. It just, he wasn't dominant from start to finish, but the score of that moment, I mean, huh. I, I don't, I actually, this is a bad answer. I don't have a number two moment. I just think that number one is so, so significant. feels like everything else is small in comparison. Okay, what if I had asked it if uh, your favorite moment? It was. Does that make it easier? Is that a little bit more personal? Or no, probably not. Right? Because you're right. The golden goal is like that's that like pe- like older people have Paul Henderson. People of my generation have Crosby. Like that's that's how significant the golden goal by Chris Sidney Crosby was. Like I I remember where I was when I watched it. Yeah, in my parents' basement. I was in the sixth row in the arena. It was insane. Um, <laughs> covering the game just because they gave the media's the, the, the platform tables in the lower bowl, which is still a crazy decision, by the way. I love it selfishly, but like that they're not selling those seats is, is nuts. Um, you know, my personal second moment would probably just be something a personal interaction. Like, I can think of a number off the top of my head. You know, one I'll give you is if you remember a few years ago, there was a shooting on Parliament Hill in Canada. Um, you know, pretty pretty emotional day if you're Canadian this, that day. And, and I happened to be in Buffalo. There was, um, there, there was like a prospects game in Buffalo. And then word came out after that shooting that, uh, that, that there, I think there was only one game on the NHL schedule. And it was Pittsburgh. I think it was Pittsburgh Philly. And they were going to play the Canadian Anthem before an all American game. It's sort of a sign of solidarity. So I ended up just on a whim driving to Pittsburgh sort of be there for that and then I remember talking to Sid afterwards and just like he was talking about a friend of his that was like working in the parliament buildings and how he'd reached out to him like just again so much humanity not in his own bubble as a hockey player like he had a lot of really interesting thoughts on that I could think once I was covering an Ottawa Pittsburgh series it's the morning skate he looks up at me and he goes hey do you speak French Uh, and I'm like no, not really. You know, I took it in school and, and this thing. He's like, oh, and he's just like launches into the story about a friend of his he played in the queue with, he was he had seen in the, in the Ottawa area, and he's a French teacher now. Like, it sounds weird, but I guess just to have like normal interactions with them for me is the stuff that I'll probably remember more than goals and assists and even point totals. Is there's been so many things like that over the years. Or even I remember once I flew into Pittsburgh and his dad was on the plane, Troy, and we had like a really bad flight. And then, like, the next day or something at practice, I was like, oh, did you, your dad tell you we almost went down there? And he goes, what kind of plane was it? Was it one engine or two? And, and he's like, like, just as a curious mind. I think I've always thought, and this is just literally TJ's 10 cent psychology. Like, there's no way for me to prove this. But I always think part of his brilliance must be, like, his brain must work differently than other people's. Like, I just, I just think the fact that he's, you know, we're in the middle of a playoff series or whatever, and, and whatever goes into that from the player preparation standpoint, he's still thinking about, like, how planes work or Hey, do you speak French? And like, I just feel like he's just like operating on a higher plane, honestly, just in my, in my feelings with him. Again, no way to prove that. Never run that by anyone who actually would have it a way to know. But um, it, it just seems like he's like, he's aware of everything. And it might be just like spatial awareness on the ice that's helped make him that. Obviously, he's had a tremendous drive through his career to, to stay at, at, you know, being one of the best players in the game well into his 30s now. And, you know, I think he has like that special touch with people. And so it's, it's the, it really is the total package and it's going to be interesting. Like I see a hall of fame debate going around about Yarmir Yager because he's not in yet. Cause he's still playing. Like 
Did they waive? <laughs> did they waive the automatic eligibility for Crosby and Ovechkin when they retire, or what? And I think that there's a case to do it, but I get why the Hall might not. But it's going to be cool to sort of see these last last acts of his career as a player and see all the the achievements that those those two players in particular get because they're tied together forever. Absolutely, and the well, the rivalry, or I don't know if you want to put air quotes on it or not, but I, I think it was between those two players one of the most fun things you could watch. Uh, coming up, watching the NHL. You were either Team Crosby or your Team Ovechkin. I mean, I, I kind of let people know where my, where my loyalties lie, but also like you kind of want to be, you kind of want to have your foot in the Crosby camp too. Like he's he's amazing. He's just incredible. He has assists that are better than people's goals. Like he's he's incredible. A, a great all around player. I I, I, I I I've never had the benefit of having an interaction with him like that. So I guess like in terms of moments beyond uh, the golden goal. Uh, just the assist against the Senators in the playoffs where he basically had Jason Spezza chasing him around before he fed, I forget who was in the point, was it Chris Letang who scored? But like that assist, that's one of the coolest things I've seen. He's just going back and forth behind the net, just doing everything he can to keep possession before firing off that pass. That is just super fun to see. And I think that to me, that's one of the best plays I've seen. Then he had that goal against the Canadians where he had like four defenders closing on him. He found a way to escape all of them and then score. I mean, the first time he really, this big welcome to the NHL moment was the shootout winner against the Montreal Canadiens. Welcome to the Crosby show. Like he has you could a top 10 of Sidney Crosby moments does not do the man justice. So I'm envious that you got to interact with him in that way. Right. And I should make it clear here. It's not like we're particularly close. Like I, you know, it's just, it right. just goes to show the, the impression he's left on me and, you know, I'm not pretending that we're super tight or anything like that. That's again, I think that speaks to the fact that even people that are sort of a few degrees removed have this feeling about him and talk about him. And I actually, you know, I know some of his good friends well, and trust me, there's, there's just, just an awesome guy there. Absolutely. Uh, also shout out to you for mentioning, yes, uh, Yarmir Yager celebrating his 50th birthday as well. Uh, I'm sure he should be in the, I mean, of course he should be in the hall of fame. We're talking about a guy who's second on the all-time points list. There's no debate to be had with Yarmir Yager as well, but he's a very interesting character. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I actually got a bunch of Yager stories. I got two. I'll tell you two quickly. Um, so the first one that that I recall happened kind of recently, he was, it was towards the end of his career. Uh, when he was with the, either it was New Jersey or Florida or Dallas, Boston, you know, he played for a number of teams right at the end. And I'm walking, you know, basically by where the players are stretching towards the media elevator. Um, and it would happen to be St. Patrick's day. And so I'm wearing a green tie and he's like, doing his stretches and he stops. He goes, Hey, I like that tie. Is it Irish day? <laughs> Is it Irish day? It, for some reason that killed me. Like it was so weird and, and trust me, like it's normal to walk by the players pregame in that situation, but like you never really make eye contact, maybe a nod at most, if you kind of know a guy, but like certainly if not, I would, you know, they're in, they're getting ready for game mode. I'm literally just going up to do my thing. And he's, he's cracking jokes down there. The other one was kind of wild is this was Cologne, Germany um, world championships. I want to say that was 2010, uh, but, but it might not, it's around there. And the Czechs, one gold at that tournament out of nowhere. Like they had like three NHL players uh, on their roster and, and Yager was one of the players at that event. And, and so they, they win, you know, they win the world championship, obviously, especially in Europe, that's a huge accomplishment. Like I remember the Czech prime minister was like celebrating with them in the dressing room afterwards. And anyway, it's the next morning and I'm at the airport and I'm, you know, flying, going to make my way home. 
And like the whole Czech team is exactly at the same gate as me, basically. They're, and literally, I knew it's them because they're all wearing gold medals. It's pretty clear they hadn't slept that night. They all have their jerseys tied around their waist. Uh, so they, they're on one. And except for Yarmir Yager, who's literally sitting, and they're all like drinking beer and stuff still. It's like 8 a.m. or whatever, and they haven't been to bed. Except Yager is like literally sitting there like an espresso like no jersey around his waist, no gold medal. Like just look, just like surveying the scene. Like just. <laughs> I actually, I'm pretty sure he doesn't drink at all, but he definitely wasn't drinking in that moment. It's just like it's just like this team of chaotic, you know, celebrators, and, and he's just like he's just like the king of it all. Like I, like that's the thing. He was old even then, and I don't mean to age him, but you know, that's 12 years ago, and he was already like the elder statesman, and he's still playing hockey. is is unbelievable. Um, and what, what a character too Yarmir has been. And it's hilarious. He can't get in the hall of fame until three years after he retires in Czech Republic. Cause he just might never retire. This just reminds me of two things with Yarmir Yager. I forget which year, but CPC, uh, I, they had them kind of do like, um, I'm not really sure how to describe it, but like one of those like player intros where basically you just kind of have him sitting down. He's like, hi, my name is such and such. And they say some fact about himself. And he said, uh, Hi, my name is Yarmir Yager, and my favorite player growing up was Yarmir Yager. And he's you just hear him laughing. Also, yeah. the second yes, that you was do that, you do that in every Stanley Cup final, and they use those throughout the final, right? Because it's a t- it's like what a character, what a goof. Absolutely. Uh, the second thing, uh, every Stanley Cup final since 1980 has featured a teammate of Yarmir Yager's. Do you know this? I did not know that, but it doesn't surprise me. I mean. The one degree of Yarmir is wild. It, it's the wildest thing. Like last year, I believe John Merrill was, uh, I think John Merrill was the was the guy who was the teammate of Yarmir Yagers last year. I'm sure this year, someone is still up. There's a, enough people out there who are still teammates of Yarmir Yagers, but I want that streak to continue. Since 1980, well, you look it up. It's there. Cheer for, cheer for the Panthers, man. Like if Florida gets in, I mean, not half the team, but a good chunk of that team played with them. That's very true. Not to mention a certain someone also bet on the Florida Panthers to win the Stanley Cup. So uh, I'm just putting it on there in the universe, just randomly just mentioning that maybe the Panthers will keep your streak alive and maybe the cup final. That's a very good point. Uh, and uh, hey, uh, all the more incentive to root for them. All right, let's get to stick taps. It's the segment we do every Thursday where we show someone in the hockey world some love. And uh, for those watching, yes, this is my white mini stick. CJ, do you want to start? Or do you want me to go first? You go first. You got a better pick than me. Okay, cool. Um, I want to shout out Sarah Nurse, who it, who uh, broke a pretty big record. I know Mary Philippe Poulin also did the same thing. We know I know Mary Philippe Poulin is going to get all the love from everyone today and for the rest of the uh, rest of the Olympics, essentially, for her work in the gold medal final against the United States. But I find Sarah Nurse who started off on the fourth line with this team, I think at the Worlds and also at this tournament as well, worked her way up to the top line at this Olympics and finds her and put herself in a position where she led the, led the entire Olympic competition in points, breaking a record uh, by Haley Wickenheiser for most points and Olympic games, Sarah nurse out here doing it for team Canada. She bossed up at this Olympics and I think she deserves a little bit more credit, not to say that we shouldn't be giving credit to Poulin, not to say we shouldn't be doing it for Sarah Fillier, but Sarah nurse deserves all the stick taps and all of the praise uh, for her work at this year's Olympics. So my stick tap of this week goes to Sarah nurse. Right. I'm going to stick tap our teammates, Noxie and Cax, because you should really be listening to their podcast after this, because they, they obviously are far more 
uh, vested, invested uh, in, in that gold medal win, know the players and personalities really well. And I can't wait to listen to what they come up with and talk about that win. I mean, it's so hard to identify any one player from that, that team. You did a great job with Sarah, but I remember I met Jamie Lee Rattray. Like she, she was sort of used in a 13th forward role. I think she scored five goals in the Olympics and, and had a big world championships for Canada. I mean, Debian was great in, in net. I mean, it was, it was, they were a team, right? That was, that was cool to watch. And we're a team here at SDPN. I can't wait to hear what our teammates have to say about that gold medal victory. That is a very good plug. The very last thing I will say is uh, shout out to Craig Custance and Sean Gentili of the Tuesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. You owe me and Ian Mendez a singing of the glorious Canadian National Anthem. So uh, chop, chop, boys. I'm waiting to hear it. Uh, for CJ, I'm Julian saying so long and uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, subscribe to the SDPN YouTube page. Uh, check out all the pox podcasts like Noxie and Cax and Agent Provocateur and the Steve Dangle podcast as well. Game over Montreal, game over international SDPN taken over for the nine, nine and the 2000. We are just way too good at this. All right. For CJ, I'm Julian saying so long and peace. We will be back on Monday. Get your questions in for ask CJ. The Chris Johnson show inside the game twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at reporter Chris and follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie.